everybody hear me? Good. Um, if you're expecting a uh, climate change sermon, which about 99% of churches are going to do today, you're disappointed. But I'm going to talk about something much more important. Than climate change, you want to know you're bringing it. I'm going to talk about Jesus. You're not going to beat that, are you? Glasgow should be talking about Jesus, not climate change. We're going to have a look at um, Hebrews chapter 12. We're jumping around a bit. And if you put up uh, the scripture, we'll just have a quick look at it to start with. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Next few verses. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from, <coughs> from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, being, when reproved by him. I think that will do. If you want a subject for today, or a title for today, Be Thou My Vision is the title that I'd like you to remember. You see, this letter was addressed to Jews who'd been <coughs> converted to Christianity, who were being tempted to go back to the old Judaism, or, even worse, to Judaize the Gospel. Eugene Peterson, in his introduction, in his message version, says... It was written for two religious Christians. I want to repeat that. Two religious Christians. God's not interested in religious people. I should be having amens all over the place. God's not interested in religious people. And the other thing was, he says that it were Christians who were adding to Jesus. The Jesus and people. It was a false, distorted Jesus that they were talking about. For some of them, it appears it was an identity crisis. And you can understand that. They come out of Judaism, and they were struggling with their identity. And I want to come back to that later on, because we all need to know our true identity in Christ. Apologies to the life group, we've heard that recently. Some were getting discouraged, disheartened, demoralised, as you saw from that, faint-hearted. They were drifting and at risk of losing their faith. Anybody here in that category this morning? I'm not asking you to put your arms up. Anybody flagging in their faith? Feeling weary, disheartened? I feel during lockdown, many, many of us did go through tough times. I did, I'm not denying it. I feel I was challenged in my faith. 
And if this morning you're thinking of giving up on Jesus, I want to try and bring you some reassurance. The writer uses the scenario of athletics and compares the Christian life to a race. Similar to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 and Galatians 2 and 5. But significantly, Paul in 2 Timothy 4 verses 7 and 8 and 1 Corinthians 9 links running and race to fighting. Because what he's saying is the Christian race is also one of conflict. It's tough. If any of you believe the Christian life, coming to Jesus, is a bed of roses, you're disillusioned and and deluded. Jesus never, ever said following him was going to be easy. But he did tell us the glory of where he's taking us and where it leads to. It's never going to be easy. And I think that this whole thing reminds me of a steeplechase race. I've got a great respect for those steeplechase runners. Not only do they run at great pace, and the times that they do in these races are amazing, considering they have to jump these barriers and go through water and all sorts of things. The Christian life is a steeplechase, or a cross-country race, if you want to put it into context. And interesting, the word that's used in the Greek here is agonai, which denotes more than just running, but conflict. Smith Rigglesworth, the great revivalist, wonderful man. He was illiterate. His wife taught him uh, to read and write. He then became an itinerant preacher. He saw thousands healed. He saw the dead raised. Wonder, glory. Do you know what he said? He said, great faith is a product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. Great triumphs can only come out of great trials. So are we flagging in our faith? That's what... uh, uh, the message translates, I like that flagging, it's a modern word, it's meaningful to us. Are we growing weary and losing heart, as it says in the NIV? Are we drifting, even tempted, to give up, to drop out, in athletics terms? Some of the saddest things when you watch the marathons on the TV is to see those people giving up, I'm not criticising them, I couldn't do a mile, let alone 26. But isn't it sad when you see those people dropping out uh, of the race? Let us not be a, a people who give up on following Jesus. And the writer gives us the antidote to flagging, getting disheartened and thinking of giving up. He says, focus on Jesus. He says... Fix your eyes on him. The message says, keep your eyes on him. Other versions say, don't be distracted. Fix your eyes on Jesus and our relationship with him. He is the beginner and the finisher of our faith. The author and perfecter of our faith. 
The word that's translated author comes from archigos, which means pioneer, founder, initiator, and also has a very interesting sense to it of being leader. Jesus is our leader. And he has gone through much worse than we could ever possibly go through. He went through the cross, or the shame of that. The Son of God, beaten, nailed to a cross. He was rejected, shamed. We <clears throat> must recognise that if we follow him, we will go through tough times. And Paul says, guys, when you're going through tough times, when Jesus went through tough times, he kept his eye and his focus on the end. And that's so important for us. Because there is in store the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. That's where we're heading. We're heading for a crown that he will award to us and a crown that will last forever. In 1 Corinthians 9, the message refers to an athletics medal that will tarnish. But you see, ours is one that is eternally gold. Eternally gold. It's not going to tarnish. So we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are in a race. And we know where we're heading. We know who we're following. And we know that ultimately we're going to get an untarnishable crown of glory. You see, Jesus gives me everything. Absolutely everything. He gives me life. He gives me salvation, forgiveness, freedom. Somebody talked about freedom this morning. He gives us freedom, hope, joy, peace, and ultimately life with him forevermore and eternal crown. So the question this morning is, where is our primary focus? Is it fixed on Jesus? Or is it fixed on our circumstances and a bit on Jesus? Is it fixed on our family? Is it fixed on our career? What is it fixed on? It's very clear here that the writer says, do not, do not be distracted from focusing primarily and firstly on Jesus. He began and finished this race that we're in. I had what I'm calling a Peter moment a few weeks ago. I was quite down about, I'm an action man, I'm an activist. There's only one more active person in the church than me. Well, there's probably two, Alan Harris and Dave Tan. I can't stand not having something to do. I've got to be doing things. And uh, I've been really badly hit by the pandemic, not being able to do things. I love to meet people. I'm energised by meeting people. Not being able to meet people has driven me mad. And I felt the Spirit said to me, when I was at a low point, do you love me more today than pre-pandemic? What a Peter moment that was. Do you know what I mean? I really was struck 
by that. And I'm going to finish later on talking about what is a Peter moment. You see, Jesus doesn't change. Our circumstances might be dire, but we can focus on him, the unchanging one. And he wants us to be in love with him more today than we were last week. More today than when we got converted. Nothing is better than meeting people who are in love with Jesus. When I became a Christian 60 years ago, I was directly influenced by a guy who I met on a camp. He was a uh, best cricketer I've ever played against. Embarrassingly, he thrashed us. My best friend was the uh, county fast bowler, and I thought, he'll get him out. He couldn't. This guy was a superb cricket player. But do you know one thing? He smelt of Jesus. He, he was so full of Jesus. He didn't talk about it all the time. He didn't go around shouting about Jesus. But he had about him that fragrance of Jesus. And it had a great impact on me as a young lad of 16. Have you ever heard of Billy Bray? If you read every day, uh, not every day, um, the Nicky Gumbel Bible uh, in a year, he men mentioned him this week, and that's what prompted me to mention it. I was given his, a little book about Billy Bray probably 60 years ago. He was a tin miner in Cornwall, an a, a drunkard who beat his wife and was constantly in fights. At the age of 29, he met Jesus. It turned his life around. He couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And he said this wonderful quote, because they used to take the mick out of him because he wasn't drunk every night. They said, if they put me in a barrel, I'd shout glory, hallelujah, through the bunghole. I love that story. But he was so intoxicated, not with alcohol anymore, he was intoxicated by Jesus or with Jesus. Oh, I longed to be personally intoxicated with Jesus and see a body of people here intoxicated with Jesus. A community touched by drunkards who are drunk with Jesus. Amen! Come on, folk! This is what will change Selsden. It's not initiatives. It's not projects. It's not programs. It is people who are full of love for Jesus. Amen. I want to ask you, are you infatuated with Jesus today? Am I infatuated with Jesus today? Am I captivated by him? Am I passionate about him? Am I enthralled by him? In my experience, and opinion polls and surveys seem to confirm it, people are fascinated and interested in Jesus. I'm sorry, they're not interested very much in religion. They're not interested, and I'm sorry, sorry Neil, in church. But they are fascinated with Jesus. I've done lots and lots of Alpha courses, and I love, if, if we do Alpha courses here, I'll do the Jesus week, all right? Because people, you can't get rid of them. The last Alpha course I was involved with, Pam and I sat for a long time at the discussion time because people wanted to talk about Jesus. And they were absolutely <coughs> fascinated. 
H.G. Wells, who I studied for, I think it was A-level. Oh, I might have to date myself here. It might have been O-levels. Oh, crumb. Either O-levels or, uh, or A-levels, all right? I studied H.G. Wells, an H.G. Wells book. Do you know what he said? Listen to this. I am a historian. I am not a believer. But this penniless preacher from Galilee is irresistibly the centre of history. Even people who would not describe themselves as followers of the penniless preacher recognise that there is something extraordinary about Jesus. But it's not about knowing about Jesus. It's not about saying he's irresistible. It's knowing him. Knowing him personally. And I challenge myself and everyone here this morning. Do you know Jesus personally? Have you spoken to him today? Pam's got a lovely song on one of her CDs. And she said, uh, I know he's alive. I spoke to him this morning. And uh, we need to know Jesus in a personal way. So I'm getting carried away, but I don't apologise for that. Having identified the priority of first and foremost in the Christian life, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the writer, whoever he is, <coughs> encourages us to follow Jesus' example. And he gives lots of instructions and ad advice from athletics. And I'm using various versions here. He says, <coughs> avoid flagging in your faith. And we've all seen those poor runners on the, on the marathon, you know? Uh, and I got great sympathy for them. He said, don't grow weary, don't lose heart, don't drift, don't wander off the track. There's that lovely story of the guy who wandered off the track and went the wrong way. And the guy behind him waited and pulled him back on track so that he didn't lose his place in the race. Don't be distracted. It's easy to get distracted. And Paul uses in another section, don't be aimless. Don't aim. Don't lose your focus. Don't get aimless. And he gives us some practical advice. Throw off everything that hinders and entangles. He says, strip down, don't try and run your race dressed like I am today. Or even worse, if I had my fleece on. He says, strip down to your shorts and your vest. Start running. There's a lady who jogs past our house and has done for many years, and she's <coughs> dressed appropriately for running, uh, and she's, uh, I think she's quite a fit lady. She, you can tell by the way she runs. But she acquired a dog recently. I saw her this morning. She now runs with this little dog on the lead, and it's affecting her ability to run. It's a hindrance. It's entangling her, and she'll never be as competent as she was. I must tell you a story... I shocked Pam's uh, old school. The headmistress used to invite me to do assemblies, and I did an assembly on this subject. It was, at, it was Olympics year, so it was a good reason for doing it. And I turned up in a tracksuit, 
and uh, I stripped off in the front of assembly, down to my shorts and running vest. And the headmistress, who I knew quite well, looked absolutely aghast. I was in front of all these uh, primary children. The point I was making, though, was you need to be stripped to run. You can't run with anything that hinders or tangles you. No spiritual fat, it says in the message. Don't carry any spiritual uh, fat. <clears throat> it says, don't carry any religios religiosity. No legalism. Don't carry baggage. Don't try and run the marathon. I know these people do it for charity, but if you're a proper runner, you wouldn't put a rucksack on your back and try and run uh, the marathon if you're a proper runner. Of course, you want to be light, don't try and let your treasure, your money, your possessions weigh you down. John Wesley has had a wonderful quote. When I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. Listen to that. That's for me and for all of us this morning. When I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find a way into my heart. Money can burden you down in the race that God's called us to. <clears throat> There's that very sad story of the archaeologists when they were working on um, the sort of aftermath of uh, Vesuvius and the Pompeii uh, <laughs> volcano and they found a perfectly petrified body of a lady who apparently left it too late. Why? Because she was carrying all her jewels and treasure with her. Don't let's try and run the race of life taking too much treasure on board. And the message uses another phrase, no parasitic tin, sins. No parasitic sins. No sloppy living. That'll hold you back. That'll entangle you. Sloppy living. No running aimlessly. That's point one. Throw off everything that hinders and entangles. Point two, persevere and endure. Message says, never quit. Persevere and endure. And that's, at least I'm linking into the heading for today, Neil. Even in the face of opposition and hardship, Consider Jesus. He had the ultimate hardship and opposition, but he kept going. <clears throat> I'm going to read from the message now. Jesus, who both began and finished this race, we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. Go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he ploughed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Look at Jesus, what he went through. That will shoot adrenaline into 
yourselves. I had my booster this week, and uh, that's nothing. It's that adrenaline boost that we need when we look at Jesus. It says in the message, God is educating us. He's disciplining us and training us. He wants us to know that what he's taking us through often, these hardships and troubles, are part of his discipline and training. Thirdly, those poor folk that he was writing to had an identity crisis. And many Christians have an identity crisis. We need to know who we truly are. Not our natural identity, because we do have, in a sense, two identities, but knowing who we are in Jesus Christ. I believe that that was quite a serious issue for these Jewish Christians. They needed to know their true identity. They were steeped in Judaism and the Old Covenant. The promises and prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Covenant, which Jesus, of which Jesus is the mediator. You mentioned that this morning, and I thought that was really encouraging, uh, Bernard. They were therefore in Christ. And later in that uh, chapter 12, <clears throat> the writer refers to their sonship. Understanding that as a Christian, we are in Christ Jesus revolutionizes how we see ourselves. Our self-image, our identity, and our value to God. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do I know who we are in Christ? God has taken hold of you and me and placed us in Christ. The New Testament, Paul says that 164 times. I'm not a sad person who goes around adding it up, don't worry. I picked that up on the internet. But 164 times. And in him, because we're in Christ, what have we also got? Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing we've received. Ephesians 1, verse 3. It's in Christ, the message says, that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Do I know who I am? Do you know who you are? You young people, do you know who you're living for? Do you know who you are? Life's not worth living for anyone else other than Jesus Christ. I'm in him. I'm in Christ Jesus. Well, there should be some hallelujahs this morning. If I was in a Pentecostal church, they'd be lifting the roof this morning. In conclusion, have I been talking too long now? You'd expect a pastoral note from me, wouldn't you? Okay, and here it comes. Let's look out for one another in this race. At the beginning, it talks about being surrounded by uh, witnesses. It links in to chapter 11, where the writer's just gone through all the heroes of the faith. And it says, <clears throat> it says this, they are the heroes or the veterans of our faith, it says in the message, who are witnessing our race. The message says, who are cheering us on. They're all up there. Moses, all these great men of history, 
Abraham, they're cheering us on in the race that God has set before us. Isn't that wonderful? But also, I think there is a sense in which, if you read on in 12, it says we need to be cheering each other on. We need to be encouraging each other. It says, particularly when struggling or experiencing trials and troubles. It actually talks about perhaps stopping or helping each other not to trip or fall. We do it lovingly, gently, non-judgmentally, but it's so important. That's one of the joys of life groups, is that when you're feeling that you're struggling in your Christian walk or race, that you can share it with an individual, probably not necessarily the whole group of individuals, you know you're going to get encouraged and helped and loved and you're going to be propelled back onto the, onto the race again, like we see in the marathon. Help each other out and run for it, the message says. Let's cheer each other on. I cherry-picked this particular section. Neil knows that. I asked him if I could preach on it. Because throughout lockdown, I've sensed that a reoccurring quickening from the Spirit that deepening our relationship with Jesus was the priority. And I found as I've read articles, as I've done my daily meditations, as I've listened to some respected speakers and people with a (coughs) reputable prophetic gifting, time and time again, they confirm that this is what God is saying to us, or has been saying to us during lockdown. You can't do much, but you can fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's what I believe God's still saying to me today. You might not be able to do all the things you want to do. I wanted to go on holiday. Or we wanted to go on holiday. We even got to the stage of finding a holiday in, uh, in Portugal. But it was so complicated getting all the tests, etc., that we abandoned it. And you know I love my holidays. But Jesus... <clears throat> needs to be my focus. I need to be fixed on him, whatever the circumstances, however dire. We don't know what's going to happen with uh, COVID over the next few months. I might be boosted, but I don't know what's going to happen. All right? But let's focus on falling deeper in love with Jesus. I come back to my Peter moment. You remember that wonderful interaction between Jesus and Peter? In his first Two questions to Peter. Jesus used the strong Greek word for love, agabo. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Peter replied with the weaker word, word verb, filio, which conveys affection. Friendship. Of course I, you know, of course I'm your friend, Jesus. Of course I, I like you. Do you see the difference? One was, do you love me? One's reply was, yeah, we're good friends. So much different. The third time, Jesus questioned Peter. He says, are you my friend? As if suggesting, Peter, is this all you mean to me? Do you love me in the way I love you? He said. It would have been good to read Peter abandon that weaker word, filio, but he didn't. 
And <clears throat> he could have said, yes, Lord, I love you, using that other word, which is so powerful, agapio. But he didn't. And the question today is, are you just a friend of Jesus? Are you in friendship with him? Or are you in love with him? Am I more in love with Jesus today than I was pre-lockdown? I'm not sure, but I think the punch has hit where it hurts. And I'll just share it with you this morning. That may be for you, it may be not. Are you losing heart in the race that Jesus set before you? Have you lost sight of Jesus? Have you lost sight of that eternal crown that is yours? I believe that this area, this town, this nation, and of course this world will only be changed by a people who are deeply intoxicated with Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Let's really fall deeper in love with Jesus. Would you like to stand just for a minute? And uh, Sarah, I think Sarah's got a good song for us to to finish on this morning. I want to declare, Jesus, that I love you. It's more than just friendship. It's more than just affection. I love you with all my heart. Help me, Lord, in all those struggles in this race of life that you placed upon us, before us, you never promised us an easy time, but you did promise to be with us. And today I just want to say, please, <clears throat> will you, come to each one of us and just <clears throat> ask us that question. Do you love me? Agapeo. May our response be, not not filio, but I love you, Jesus, with all my heart. And Lord, may it be infectious as we live our lives, as we go to work, to school, as we go to the uh, (coughs) supermarket, wherever we go, may people smell Jesus on us. Not my aftershave, Lord, not my deodorant, but may they smell Jesus and be attracted and fascinated by him. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.